Welcome back to the Evolving Hockey Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm joined with by Josh and Luke Youngren, the otherwise known as the Evolving Wild Twins. And we have a special episode tonight or today, whenever you're listening. We're going to do our first stats primer. So, Josh and Luke, how are you? Are you excited? Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, I can't this wait. This is what I live for. Yeah, we can, I can't wait to talk about stats. I mean, and, and this might might sound sarcastic, but I actually am excited yeah. to talk about stats. <laughs> this is this is truly though what Luke lives for. Oh yeah. yeah Luke is. is the guy in the back room who doesn't talk to anybody yeah. and all of a sudden he comes out with like this massive product. I feel like that's kind of Luke's personality. Yeah. Yeah, that is yeah. what I do. Even Josh though, Josh gets all the glory. I What are you talking about? You know, about? I have to sit and <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. I know. I'm just joking. It's I more do like, do everything. <laughs> that's that is a little bit of more Luke's personality, but it actually is how we both tend to operate. But uh, anyway, we're we're doing great. I will say that we uh, in our last episode, which wasn't this kind of part of a series that we're doing now, uh, we did say that we were going to record right after that one, but we tried to, and that didn't go well. So hopefully, this one will go a little bit. Uh, we a got little, a little bit more fleshed yeah. out. Better outline. Yeah. Hopefully, we won't end up rambling about the history of all of these things for yeah. too long. Because I think I don't know how much. Well, we'll probably still talk about the history. We might. But... We might. We might dabble into the nineteen twenty Red Wings. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, no, no, Sean, we're doing well. We're uh, excited to to be here and talk stats. So, this is obviously not your typical stats site. Just kind of jumping into it here. This is what maybe some would consider a advanced stats site. So I guess my first question I think what many listeners might have uh, is where do you draw the line, I guess, between regular box score stats and advanced stats, and what exactly does advanced mean? Yeah, so I think that that's kind of like the first real like definition switch or I guess like a um, change between kind of what well I, I guess I should start by saying that that advanced gets thrown in front of hockey statistics a lot so a lot of times you hear advanced stats or analytics or whatever and really all that means is something that's not a traditional box score stat so it's it's you know that would be the fantasy hockey stats the goals assists points hits all that stuff I don't think would be considered advanced stats really where it starts at is um when, when you're kind of looking at more on-ice metrics, I think would be about the um, lowest kind of level for that, and, and we'll co- cover that a little bit later. But it's really anything that's not a box score stat um, that can be – so that can can start all the way with just kind of a simple on-ice Corsi 4 percentage, which we'll discuss, all the way up to a fancy GAR model or regression model or whatever, if you might hear those things. It's like all of that, and it kind of ranges in complexity. And and usually, I, I think, just for the within the NHL, whenever you hear someone call anything advanced stats, usually that means that starting in 2007 until the current, because that was when the NHL started um, using their or tracking. They started using their, their modern tracking system, which has been referred to as RTSS or HITS. Um, and so generally, when you hear the term advanced in front of a metric or advanced stats for hockey, that's kind of the time frame we're talking about. Now, we should also say that 
it's not necessarily that they're more advanced or there's anything advanced about them necessarily. I think that's just become kind of the um, the conventional way that people refer to them as. It, people have stopped using this now, but it used to be kind of like fancy stats too. There were a bunch of names that kind of were trying to denote a difference between box score metrics or the historical stuff the NHL has been tracking for decades and the more modern, recent things that started about, uh, what's that, 14, 15 years ago? Um, so yeah, I, I would say that that's kind of the, the kind of defining aspect of that uh, of that of those metrics. Going off, maybe this is on a, on a tangent, but listening to this, it kind of gave me the idea. Do you guys have a particular name of these types of stats? Do you do you have anything that you would prefer to denote what we're now calling advanced stats here in quotation marks? That's not advanced. Like, how do you feel about people just calling it analytics? Do you like that? Do you not like that? Curious. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think for for me, I just I think that calling something like on ice Corsi four percentage, and again, maybe we should just cover that right now. But I think that that's a pretty. Um, I think putting advanced in front of the name makes it seem like it's way more complicated than it is. At least that's for me. I think that. Um, if if you're kind of watching like the game on ice statistics make like on ice metrics make a lot of sense and that would just be kind of what happened when a player was on the ice and so so with box score stats it's their individual metrics so it's what did a single player do um, so you know a single player shot on goal so that would be like a player's shot totals for the season that would be like a traditional box score metric but on ice would just be what happened when they were on playing and when they were on the ice. So that would, rather than an individual stat, that would be an, we would call an on ice metric. So what happened when they were on the ice? And I think personally that calling that advanced actually kind of, it's like putting a limit on it. It's like people are like, Oh, I don't want like, I don't know. I've just seen this before where like some people are like, I don't like analytics. I don't like advanced stats. It's like, I personally think that just looking at it from what happened when a player was on the ice is actually, I wouldn't call that an advanced stat. I think that should just be kind of, I mean, in my personal opinion, I would I would say that that's just pretty standard stat for me. And I think the other thing too is that it's, I, I like to think about it more as maybe maybe a better definition would be like, um, like modern statistics, I think would maybe be a better yeah. term because it's not, I, I think it's something to differentiate the more recent trends in the NHL of, of um, where before 2000 or before 2010, really, teams not a lot of teams had any kind of people working for them or they weren't making decisions that were necessarily driven by data in the way that they are in the last 10 years. Um, I think that's kind of an important thing as well is that the when people talk about advanced stats, what they're really talking about is the use of modern data analysis and um, statistical techniques to make decisions. And I think that's maybe a better term um, that doesn't necessarily, I don't know, it almost kind of introduces a certain amount of gatekeeping when you say advanced, like it kind of this idea that, well, there are these very difficult things that may, that people can't get into. And I think that's kind of um, putting, that's just right away can be exclusive or like excluding um, like people who maybe want to get into it or are interested in it. So that's kind of the term I generally prefer. Um, but I, I think anything is, you know, a fair game as long as it's kind of useful and makes sense. So I guess we have sort of been moving into this direction of, of on ice stats and, and shot metrics. So I guess if somebody was listening and they were on evolving-hockey.com, the best website for your modern stats. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. And they, they clicked either on, well, let's stick with skater tables here, and then they went to on ice. They would find a couple of acronyms, SF 
FF, CF, um, CA, F, you know, whatever. The same types of things, which stands for shots on goal for guns, Corsi for and against, Fenwick for and against. So can you define what those terms are, especially Corsi and Fenwick, and maybe how they're used? Yeah, so I, I think up front, it, it's... A, I, we had some people getting mad at us uh, for some reason about the names, but I, Corsi and Fenwick are kind of the most well-known hockey statistics that would be called modern or advanced or whatever you want to say. Um, they've kind of been what people hear about as maybe their first entry point to learning about this stuff, but they're really kind of names that were just made up along the way. They don't mean anything. Um, or they were was, given to the were, people who yeah, yeah. were credited I, with like noting them. Yeah, so I believe I don't I can't remember the Jim Corsi. Is it Jim Corsi? Jim Corsi? Yeah, he's a gold. Buffalo Sabre. Yeah. Remember yeah. that's our yeah. That's our Buffalo yeah. Sabres check-in for this podcast. Our, our Sabres check-in, but uh, he he was a goalie coach for the Sabres who um, just tracked all shot attempts uh, against goalies because he felt like it was a better. I believe the story goes that he just felt like tracking less than that was not essentially capturing the whole story, and so he started just to track that, which is where the name came from. But what Corsi is is just the idea of any shot attempt. So that includes shots on goal. Uh, missed shots, block shots, and goals. So when you hear somebody refer to something uh, Corsi, both for uh, – I'll get to that later, but Corsi is um, any shot attempt that the NHL tracks, but it's generally – there aren't really any other types of shots other than a few that are have additional attributes like something like a deflection, deflected shot or something like that. But it's every shot attempt. And then Fenwick is um, those as well, but it's removed uh, uh, block shots. So it's only shots on goal, um, missed shots, and uh, goals. Uh, and or then also call unblocked shot or attempts. Unblocked shot attempts, and then uh, the last one is just shots for. Sometimes you'll hear is is just now that's SF, but that's also shots. That's we just have that acronym kind of to line up with the other ones, but that's just standard shots on goal. Um, so those are kind of the standard uh, shot metrics. And um, since 2007, now it, it's not entirely the case because there were a couple years before then where the NHL was starting to track these things. But um, the NHL hadn't tracked all shot attempts uh, pre- prior to 2007 that really is in a useful way. Um, so those are the general definitions uh, of those things. And then I guess we've also sort of been – actually, let me let me touch on one thing real quick that – it kind of goes back to when I was originally learning about analytics that I confused that I was confused and maybe some of that was listening could be confused for this. I thought that block shots were like a positive event when you blocked a shot. It was like a positive event, right? Like people yeah. talk about in hockey. I honestly thought when I started this, so we should make that clear, I guess, for our listeners that I thought it was basically what we're describing as your on block. Sh- unblocked shots when you're actually shooting at the goaltender for unblocked shots, like your Fenwick. And then I thought it was your own, the shots that you were blocking. I actually thought that was initially. And I know that sounds a little out there, but I thought that I thought it was like, well, you know, so we should make it clear that it's, it's all attempts that you are trying to make to score the goals. It's not actually shots that you're blocking when we say, block shots as a shot attempt yeah no totally and i that makes a lot of sense i always get confused because and just a side note the way the nhl tracks block shots is the 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 coordinate is from where the shot was blocked and not where it was taken from so that also kind of tripped me up initially because it's like oh well if it's your unblocked your unblocked shot attempts on the opposing team you know on your opponent's goalie and then your block shots, but it's just really confusing because it's an offensive event 
like if you're doing it for like if you're thinking about it from an offensive standpoint but the location is the defensive location it's the opposing player so that always kind of tripped me up too uh <laughs> and and i think the other thing this is a good just to clarify also is that occasionally you'll hear for and against um and i think that's one of the things with block shots where the F and the A or for and against is an indication of uh, kind of – you can think about it the offensive and de- defensive aspect for skaters and teams. So when you see Corsi for or shot attempts for, that means everything that a player's team or they did themselves and against is everything that happened while they were on the ice or, or against them. So that's also an important, I think, distinction that can be a little bit confusing to yeah. people, especially with the block shot aspect because I think historically a lot of these were tracked um, kind of from the de- with the defense in mind. Like I was actually doing a little research how long – NHL has been tracking shots on goal because that was one of the first things they started adding in after um, t- uh, playing time or time on ice and then also like their kind of historical box t- uh, score stuff and shots on goal were actually originally tracked as shots on goal against a goalie that was tracked before they started tracking it for skaters so about five or six years before in the 50s this is when the NHL started tracking this they were tracking them for goaltenders so you have actually about six seasons of shot um, data, but that's only against for goaltenders versus who took the shots, which I think is interesting. So that's, I think, kind of a, a little backstory of probably where some of these conventional names come from and how they were originally used and why they kind of are sometimes presented this way. So, again, I think we've sort of been briefly mentioning these kind of things, uh, but what is on ice mean i guess and how does that differ from like an individual metric yeah so on ice stats and this is when i said earlier about kind of the first level of advanced stats or modern hockey stats would it, on ice metrics really what it means is just events that took place while a single skater or team in this case team on ice and skater on ice are the same thing for these type of metrics and we would also i i refer to these as raw on ice metrics um because this would just be the total sum of all shot attempts or Corsi shots for your a, a skater's team while they were on the ice and against their team while they were on the ice so you can think about it if a player took a shift and it was a 50 second long shift and their team had four shot attempts, so that would be Corsi shots on the opposing goalie, and the opponents had two shot attempts or Corsi shots against, they would have, that would all be counted in, in, in for that shift and that player's time while they were on the ice. And for every shift you in a game, you would just add up all of the shots when a player was on the ice for and against their team while they were on the ice. And that's Corsi four, on ice Corsi four, in and on ice Corsi against and then you would sum that for a whole season you can sum it for any period it's game by game um can be down to period by period although we don't currently uh anyway uh it so so (laughs) and then just to take that the the first step really was to look at um either Corsi four percentage or Corsi differential so I think the easiest way at least for that that helped me a lot was to think about Corsi, any shot, we would also call these shot metrics, they're also kind of called, but an on-ice Corsi 4 differential can just be looked at the same, and for me, this is how I think about it, as a goal, goal differential. So like a team's goal differential would be the same thing as a team's Corsi 4 differential. Um, but when you look at it for skaters, since skaters aren't playing the entire game, you would just look at the, the amount that happened while they were on the ice. Um, and a lot of the time this is converted into a percentage form. So you might hear a Corsi 4 percentage. And that just means 
um, the percentage of it's also sometimes called shot share. Um, and this also is it's, it's it's just the calculation is um, the total Corsi four for a player when they were on the ice divided by the sum of Corsi for and Corsi against. So it's the sh- it's called shot share sometimes because it's the share of all shots that happened for a player's team while they were on the ice. So if a player, this these are made up numbers, but say in a certain time period, they their team had 100 shots for while they were on the ice and their opponents had 50 shots against their, their team while they were on the ice, that would be 100 divided by 100 plus 50. So 100 divided by 150 would be uh, a Corsi 4 percentage of 66.67, which would be, that's really good. That <laughs> That's like a really good, so that doesn't happen very often. I think there's some, but in some instances. But yeah, that's a basic definition of like on-ice metrics in their kind of most commonly used form. Yeah, I definitely, have, <clears throat> when I've started using these either, or when I've started, when I tweet about these or when I write about them in our evolving weeklies or whatever, a lot of times I do like to, for our uh, most casual, average viewer of, of our content, I like to always talk about those as like a share of what's happening because to me that's kind of how I visualize it. And so when you say shot share, a lot of times I frame it as, you know, the um, right now I'm, I had the Bruins game on in the background and they have roughly a 75% share of the shots on goal that have occurred in the game. Personally, that's just how I think about it, but I think everybody kind of just, they need to sort of fit those things into how they think about the game. Yeah. No, totally. Josh, specifically for you, I guess we also have on our notes here in front of us. It's for our listeners. This is like big for us to have an outline. <laughs> um, and the next thing in line with Josh, uh, Josh, Luke kind of beat you to it is like, yeah, sort of like the team versus skater evaluation of these metrics. So do you have comments specifically related to that? Yeah, I, I think one, one of the things is that like Luke has talked about this and kind of went through it or defined it already, but is that you can kind of look at this, uh, the, this approach so far can be used for both skater and team. And I think one of the things, first of all, why, like, why do we even do this? Like, what is like, what is the point of doing these like on ice metrics, um, the differential, like the percentages, like Luke described, like, where does that come from? And what I, one of the, the answer really is that in, in the first few years after the NHL started tracking this, some of the early people who a lot of them now work for teams, but a lot of the early research that was done was showed that for teams using their on ice there's specifically it was on ice courtesy or on ice shot attempt numbers in a percentage form or in a differential um, was a better predictor or better indicator of future goal differential or future future success for teams at at some places in the season so right now we're recording this it's the night of november 30th we're just after thanksgiving Um, most teams are right around the 20 to 25 game mark which is kind of when some of the early uh, research would show that that's when you start to have some um, you can actually see some predictive power of using these um, these team these on ice metrics as a way to predict future goal scoring or future um, standing points. And I, I think that th- from a team analysis, that's generally how they're used is kind of looking at team strength. Uh, there's a couple different reasons for that. I think one of them is that generally 
like how there's a lot more shot attempts than goals, for instance, or even shots on goal. And and the number of shot attempts that a team is able to generate compared to their the aggregate of their opponents generally is a kind of a good indicator of how well they're controlling play, how well they're generating offense, how well they're maybe preventing defense, which are all essentially fairly correlated with actual goal scoring, more or less. Now, goal scoring in the NHL is pretty noisy, but that's one of the things where the team aspect came from. And the skater aspect kind of is... I like to think of it sometimes as just like a slice of the team performance because it's kind of accounting for – it's kind of counted in in a similar way. And so you could see like if you look at a player who is on a good team, for instance, you or say you have – actually, let's just say you have a team that has 50 – they allow the same number of, of shot attempts as they generate. But you have a player who's above a certain percentage or something. You could kind of look at this in a comparative way that would say, well, this player is actually contributing more shot attempts or is driving play in a better way. Um, I think there there is difference there, but at least from these on-ice approaches, this is kind of the same uh, method, I think, is maybe the better way to think about it. Now, there's I don't think we'll get to it this episode. There are some more advanced methods that kind of show why actually looking at skater on-ice percentages like this like just out or there are, maybe is not the best way to do it there's some a better ways to account for teammates specifically um and but zone then, starts, and, zone and, starts like and other stuff like that if we actually are trying to do you know um i think more robust skater analysis but from a team perspective it's generally now there's obviously some things there that models for instance that can do a little bit better job of evaluating team strength but that's kind of i think the difference there is um it's it, it, well they're actually pretty similar but it's more about um that I think important to remember that these you'll hear on ice metrics referred to for both team um, and skater analysis. Yeah, and I'll just kind of piggyback just to add a little bit is I think that probably one of the reasons why um, Corsi four or shot attempts four picked up kind of like Josh said was that you know um, before we had those it it I would imagine that a lot of analysis was done oh this team has a really good goal differential right now that means they're going to be good in the future but when you look at goal differential, it's kind of, it's a lot less stable because of how few goals there are actually scored in the NHL. And Corsi is just a much more, much more robust form of analysis um, for kind of looking at team strength, just because there's so many more like shot attempts than, I mean, I don't know. I think Corsi for like shooting percentage on all Corsi shots is like 5%. Don't quote. I should have looked some of these numbers up. (laughs) It's like it's closer to like three percent. Yeah, three percent. So that would indicate that for every Corsi shot, like say a hundred Corsi shots were taken, only three are goals. So we're looking at a much much larger number of total shot attempts, which is really the reason why we look at this is because, um, and and it gets complicated when you look into shot quality, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. Not sure about in this episode or not if we'll get there, but. Not all shots are created equal, but just for now, we're talking about just raw shot attempts and course. Oh, we're we're going to get there. Luke. Okay, we're yeah. going to okay, we'll get there. Okay. That was the next I thing on the list. I didn't read the, I didn't read the outline. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you is that, a, the is outline. that a perfect transition into our next, yeah. our next great, topic? Great segue, Luke. Great, great segue. So I think the person who is listening to this right now that is very new to analytics and has um or modern statistics as josh eloquently put it um they're probably thinking to themselves well not all shots are created equal um a alex uh ovechkin one-timer on the power play is going to be quite different than a um 
who who's some random Minnesota Wild player? <laughs> hey, Brandon Duhame. Hey, a new Brandon Duhame. No, yeah. no, 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 no. It's got to be like a bad one. Uh, we're, we don't we don't throw shade no at our neighbor team. Wild players. <laughs> so whatever, I'll say um, for the Maple Leafs, like uh, oh. They, no, we'll just say Mitch Marner. Richie, shot Nick Ritchie, Nick Ritchie, <laughs> Nick Ritchie shot off the rush. Sorry, Nick Ritchie. Um, so it's gonna be very, it's gonna be a very um, different level of danger. So we have this stat, and I'm assuming this is what would correlate to it, uh, called expected goals that we talk about a lot on the Twitter account. That we have this XG on the website. What about? Where do expected goals kind of come in here? How does that work? Where yeah. do they come from? Who yeah. is expecting these goals? <laughs> expected by whom? Uh, I, I think uh, so. Expected goals is is I think this is an important uh, uh, important point to make that everything we talked about before were things that just like were kind of they happened. So they either were one or they were zero. So if you got a shot attempt, you got that counted as one. And that's kind of how that number ends up looking like there's no there's nothing either you did have a shot or if you didn't have a shot, you can get added anything. But expected goals, um, I think there's a couple important points to make is that it's a um, when we when you hear the term, it's it's the output of a model. So it's not actually um, anything that is like a uh, I don't know a concrete thing that you could say oh that happened it's it's we have a model that was built that then that will produce a metric and the second thing I think is to say which we don't we'll get into too much now but it's actually generally when you hear people talk about expected goals well actually every time it's not a standardized model like the NHL doesn't have their own expected goals model that they that they use you can't find this stat on their site there's nothing that's in their play by play or any any data that would that is an official expected goals model, but the model itself is um, it's designed to account for, I think really at this point it's been used to kind of quality of, of chances. So, but at its base level, it's what we'd call a binary classification um, problem of, of essentially predicting whether or not we expect a goal to become uh, or a shot to become a goal. And so what that does is it takes any shot in the NHL. It has, we, um, we, we build a model that, uh, there's a bunch of different features that can all be used or attributes or about predictors or predictors or however you want to call it that d- kind of describe a shot in the NHL. So how far away from it w- uh, from the from the net was it? Like what was the angle from the net? Um, what happened before it? Uh, what period was it? What was the st- what was the um, the strength state? All or, and what was the um, score state? All of these things we can kind of uh, connect to a bunch of different shots and build a model that will then look at the relationship between all of those things and assign um, ultimately. It's a probability between zero and one of how likely we expect that shot to be to be uh, become a goal, um, and and what that ends up doing is that we still have every shot is the same shot, but we now have an additional number that is kind of a waiting. Um, it's waiting that shot for how likely it would be uh, to, or it is to become a goal, which is kind of why it's called expected goals. Um, and that's the basis of it, Luke. I don't know if you wanted to chat about kind of how it's used or how it's. Um, like I, I think the additional aspects of like where that plays into analysis. Yeah, I mean, I think like kind of like I was saying earlier with Corsi, it it really can be used in the same way that that goals or Corsi four or Corsi or Fenwick or um, you know like we say. Um, the other thing just to to note here is kind of one of the reasons that Fenwick or unblocked shot attempts is still used is because as I mentioned, block shots the location is not from where the shot was taken from. It's from where the shot was blocked. So all public XG models that use the NHL's um, play-by-play data cannot use block shots in their XG models. So we have to use Fenwick, unblocked shot attempts. Um, 
for to train to make the models and for the outputs. So it's it's kind of unfortunate that the expected goals models, although it does we won't get into this, but there is a little bit of wrinkle with philosophically if a shot was blocked, but uh, it we won't get too deep into that right now. But yeah, XG it can it's just used really in the same way that you use co- any other shot metric or Corsi four. Um, or goal differential, or goals for, or goals against. It's it's pretty much used in the same way and can be used, um, but it, it's it's a lot. It, it allows you to do a lot more things um, rather than just a raw counting stat like Corsi or count. Yeah, it's a counting stat because it's zero or one. Whereas XG can be summed up, um, and there are some. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, I mean, just for my little piece here, it can get you, you can do all types of stuff with XG. It's really cool. I like in, the, in the later parts, we'll get some more on that. Yes. Are we going to talk about how XG multiplies? Uh, no, I was skipping <laughs> Put a pin that. in it. Put a, we'll get back <laughs> Put to a it. pin in it. Yeah, we won't talk about conditional probabilities or whatever it's called. I don't know. <laughs> and then I guess, um, so that same person might be wondering about scoring chances. So I don't think we want to go down, like we did on our test run, the rabbit hole of scoring chances <laughs> versus XG. But I guess kind of where do scoring chances come in here and... Um, why aren't they on the website? Maybe in a very brief sentence on that one. Yeah. So we currently we've never actually um had scoring chances on evolving hockey. Um, it's it's something that ideally in our minds expected goals is doing a better job of capturing what scoring chances and the idea of it is because scoring chances at its core is defining quality of shots, but it's defining it at a much more we would call it a discrete level where you have low, medium, high, and that's the only type of danger level there is. So, or, or either was it a chance, or, or was yeah, it not. or was it a chance, or was it not a scoring chance? And I think that, um, in my view, and probably Josh, or both of our views, scoring chances is not a. Well, I think it's a lot more complicated than just a yes, low, medium, high. You know, that's and that's what an XG model does. Um, now, I, I understand scoring chances. I think are. Sometimes, I mean, I think that it makes a lot more intuitive sense to call something a scoring chance or not calling it a scoring chance. But realistically, it's very difficult to define where that cutoff would be, at least in my opinion. And with an XG model, you don't have to do that. The model just goes from zero all the way to one with like an almost infinite number of it's bound by the up the limits of zero or one because it's probability. But it, it, it can be a completely continuous scale from zero to one, um, mostly in the zero to like 60, 65% range. But um, I think that that is, in our opinion, a much better... I mean, we feel it is a much more realistic outlook on how quality, how chances um, and danger levels of shots should be viewed, I guess. So I'm still on this on ice table here, which is beautiful, by the way. Great job. Oh, thank you, Luke. Yeah, great, great work, Luke. Thank you. And I'm on my strength state of five on five, and it has this adjustment here. And so I have two options: I have no adjustment, and then I have score and venue. Right. So what does that mean? Yeah. So 
now we're getting into like the idea of um, score effects or venue effects, um, which is a and then adjusting for those depending on what they are. Now up front, this is something that uh, I haven't seen too much of in the public. I think the, a lot of the work and research that was done on this was done maybe five or six years ago, and that kind of just solved it in a way, quote unquote. Like it was kind of done, and it was done by a few very smart people. Um, I think one of the original people who started working on it was Eric Tolsky, who now works for the Carolina, you know, the Hurricanes. Um, but back when he used to write for Broad Street. Uh, Broad Street Hockey. What was the? There was that specific SB Nation. That's what it's called. Yeah, but it was also like their stats version. Back anyway, he had a bunch of articles, and that was some of the early work. And then um, Michael Blake McCurdy, who runs Hockey Biz, he did kind of, I would say, the foundational work of actually converting that into a usable um, data approach. But before I get ahead of myself, what score effects are, what venue effects are, is the. it's a phenomenon where we see, and I think most hockey fans can maybe uh, identify with just, just having watched enough games, is that um, depending on what period it is, what the score is, and what the venue is, or which team if it is versus the home and away team, um, shot rates change or how teams play the game changes. Um, so, for instance, in late in the third... Well, we don't... I just want to make a point here. We don't adjust per period. Oh, we yeah, just yeah, shoot yeah, yeah. home and sorry. and, and sorry. State. Sorry. So I, I got ahead of myself there. Um, maybe that's a future <laughs> adjustment that we might work on, which I think we have worked on a little bit. Anyway, but what happens is ultimately that depending on the score state and the home, if whether or not it's the home or away team, the rate at which teams shoot or score goals or n- maybe not as much that, but the events that occur at those things change. Um, and they're a it's like a systemic thing that we see that's universal for every team. Essentially, home teams that are trailing tend to uh, shoot more. Uh, if they're behind, like if they're at home and they're down a goal, teams usually press, especially home teams usually press more than the away team would do in a similar situation. And teams that are trailing, for instance, kind of you see a similar. um, I'm not going to get too much into this. If you want to look at the actual weights of these things, feel free. We have links in our glossary and also we have a score adjustment table that we have everything in terms of where the weights are. But what we ultimately need to do, because this happens for every team um, and it happens in a very similar way for every team, uh, we uh, apply weights for how important or how much how much of a um, like, say, one shot. If it's late in the game and the home team is taking a bunch of shots, those aren't worth as much necessarily. I think you can put it that way succinctly as they would be if it was tied early, early in the game or wherever. Yeah. Um, but again, I want to just say we're not looking. Yeah, at- Luke, I get it. <laughs> Luke, I get it. I'm just, just late and early in the game are I'm, things, but we don't adjust for that. It's mostly just from if a te- home team is trailing, they're going to press, yeah. and the away you're, team you're, is you're, going you're to— You're hijacking me here, bro. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that's the adjustment. Um, and yeah, we call Stop it, talking about earlier, late in the game. Quiet, Luke. <laughs> we call it score and venue adjustments because it's adjusting based on the score state and adjusting based on the venue, and when venue means just whether or not it was the home or away team. And so— Generally, and we found this, and you can we've looked at this, and this has been shown in the research, is that adjusting for the score, state, and venue, um, or for the team who is doing these events, is a bet um, improves your prediction or your ability to use the the um, the predictive power of of whatever metric you're using. Which is why we recommend that you always adjust. Um, it's it's a pretty standard and observable phenomenon that has been kind of researched pretty heavily, and and the adjustments are pretty solid. So that's that's what that is. Yeah, and I will just add that the the reason that you really want to look at this and and I think the reason you do this is because some players the way they're deployed is if a player is deployed in a situation where their team is leading a lot of the time it can impact their numbers because there is a systemic property of hockey where those players will be impacted not by their ability to do anything or because of their inability to control 
this phenomenon. So they're impacted by the score state and they have no control over that because that's just a, a it's like a, a constant in hockey is that this is, you know, as much as, I don't know, as much as people like to yell at their team, if they have a, if they have a lead, not to turtle, it just that nothing works because they all do it. They always have, and they probably always will. So that's really the reason why we use a score and venue adjustment is to try to remove the impact of a property of hockey that players have no control over. Those kind of the final comments on that? Yeah, yeah pretty I mean, much. Do, do yeah. you have any other uh, – are think, we missing something here, Sean? No, I'm just surprised. Um, we basically made it through our little outline here <laughs> in, in our target time. And, again, I don't think anybody understands how impressive that is for us. Well, you know, we uh, Luke and I had a little talk There's ahead little, of this. Yeah. We said we got to be a little bit more concise. We have to be a little more efficient with our speaking yeah. time. Well, let's just um, do – I say now that we have a little bit of time, ooh. let's just talk about the history. Give a little background on the history of expected goals models because I think we meant to touch on that. Oh, and, yeah. And we didn't because I think that it's important to kind of note where they came from because it is a very – I think a very important concept in hockey that was kind of developed over many number of years. Um, why don't but, you pass it over to me, Luke? And yeah, I'll talk Josh, about, what you, why don't you talk about <laughs> the history of expectacles models in the NHL? I would uh, be fascinated to hear about. Well, that. I would say first of all, if you if you want more, we won't go into this uh, as much info as we or as much detail as we probably should. But um, we have an article on our site, and it's linked in our references that goes through a very in depth all of the white papers and all the research on expectacles models over the years. Um, but really, the history of goals, and this is something that. Um, you'll, we'll, we will be talking about these more in the future because a lot of our more uh, maybe these ones you could maybe call more advanced metrics uh, um, like our GAR model or our expected GAR model or our RAPA model so they use these uh, pretty heavily and so that's we'll be kind of chatting about this before um, but expected goals is actually a, a, I believe it was originally uh, came from soccer um, or or uh, it was used I'm not quite sure when it was originally um, Maybe Sean, you have a, do you have an idea of when the the soccer expected goals models were around? Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, I'm a little I'm I'm sophisticated. I call it European football. I was yes. going to say yeah, but um, no, I have okay. I have no clue. I think they roughly the concepts I think started sort of at the same time, and I think the data um, with soccer was just more. Um, maybe out there. Okay, I guess I think there's just more. There's just more going on with soccer that it became popular quicker, and there's yeah. just more money behind it, and it was more progressive sport as it is. I yeah, think. but I think the ideas were kind of came from soccer. But actually, I think what's kind of now I, I generally considered maybe the first public or at least the first model that was done that was uh, resembled an expected goals model was Alan Ryder. I believe it was 2004. He had a white paper, and he um, there was some very early data that he was able to use and almost uh, looking at um, what ultimately ended up being something that was very important and kind of his king, what we call, we almost say is like the main aspect of expected goals, which is just looking at distance of a shot from the net. Distance, we didn't really, I don't think, emphasize it earlier, but that was kind of the basis of his model in the mid-2000s was just how close is a shot to the net. And then that kind of was just described quality. But then after that, there was some more research done in various ways. and wasn't always called expected goals. So I think that Shuckers had, I was reading through the Warren Ice glossary, but I believe Shuckers had a model that was after that, that was like D-I-G-R. It was like a very similar to expected goals. And I think there were a few other models that were kind of expected goals models, but the name wasn't really there. They were proto-expected Yeah, goals. they were kind of before. And, and, and then there was also some people who took kind of a similar idea 
with like you might some kind of it hasn't been used in a long time, but something like weighted shot attempts or weighted coursey, very similar idea of trying to just evaluate quality. Um, but the real uh, the real first expected goals model was kind of developed by Brian McDonald, who was previously with the Panthers, and then um, I think he's still or with ESPN, and then he's now with Carnegie Mellon. Um, but he developed and proposed the first kind of what would be considered more of a modern xg model or expected goals model which was then taken that idea a little further by i think a lot of people remember and i would kind of credit dawson spriggins who now works for the avalanche as um kind of bringing the idea and the model into the public in like a full um full-fledged kind of uh idea and then also in practice showing how it worked and how it could be used for analysis um and then there were a few other website people uh or very important hockey people as well like manny uh, perry or manuel perry um with corsica he built uh, a fairly advanced model and then money puck built also one that kind of started using gbms or gradient boosting models um there's a lot more we could talk about but that's kind of like the brief history of it but again please go and read all of the stuff in in the write-up we have under our references pages which goes through all of the detail if you're interested in that Yes, I should say, are, are we going to make a post for this? We should have a, maybe an area where people can comment as well, their questions or, um, yeah. Yeah. or whatever we could, from we it. We could so, do maybe like a, um, like Ask Evolving Hockey post where maybe in the in the comments or something. Or, I mean, all, as always, our, our DMs are open, and, yeah. and we you can you know reach out to us on via email or whatever. Yeah, but, but I, I will say, I, I think we maybe, we maybe uh, neglected to actually like outline exactly what we're planning with this series at the beginning as much as we could have. But I think that ultimately what, what our plan here is is to kind of just do a running series, probably not every week, maybe once a month, maybe once every two weeks, not sure when, we're, when we feel like it, but where we cover specific aspects of hockey analysis or hockey statistics or however you want to call it, um, and specific specifically things that are on our site, but also um, uh, maybe some other concepts as well, mostly because we want to just try and maybe help. There's, we've had people reach out to us just say that like they feel like they are have trouble understanding some of these things, or maybe Luke and I have not been doing the best job at maybe explaining all of our models in a way that could maybe be better. So that's kind of our uh, one of the reasons. And also, we just feel like it's maybe overdue and a good time for us to all go through kind of and summarize some of these metrics and kind of refresh our memories on, um, on where these things originate from what they mean how they can be used what their definitions are so hopefully we'll have a few more of these over the next couple months that um but let us know if you have if you have uh, any requests or anything about how we can um maybe improve these or what we can talk about or anything that you'd want to want to hear from us in these yeah and i will say i just looked this up i'm, I'm researching on wikipedia the first xg model in expected goals is shortened to xg by the way but the first xg model in soccer was from 2004 Oh, okay. by Jake Ensom, Richard Pollard, and Samuel Taylor, where they basically just made an e- the first XG model. It was a logistic yeah. regression, but it's a, essentially the um, same thing. They were looking at what factors uh, about a shot lead to the effect, effect of it, or the, how, how effective are 12 factors at, at becoming or predicting a goal in, in soccer. So that's really just the genesis for all XG is, and I think that was about when the same time Alan Ryder did XG and in, in, or the yeah. first what would become I, XG. I want to say hockey. again, please go reference our our yes. write up and go read the work. It's actually really interesting to go back to the mid two thousands or the like twenty tens and read some of the work and where it kind of came from and follow the genesis of the model. But yeah, I believe it was around that exact same time that uh, that's when Alan Ryder did it. But anyway, um, I think that's enough for yeah. the first episode, first primer of the stats talk. Evolving hockey, talk stats. Uh, talking stats. Talk, yeah. 
so yeah, I think uh, I think we probably should just kind of wrap it up here and then save save the save the next level for the next episode. Yeah, take us away, Sean. Yeah. Bing bong, <laughs> Sean. <laughs> we'll see you later, Byron. Oh man, we're gonna we're editing that. Yeah, out. <laughs> no, we are. <laughs> all right, well, we'll, all right, all right. Well, well see- that was a good first episode, I think, and I think it'll lead us into the next episodes on this, um, where we start to get a little bit deeper into some of the other cool stuff on the site. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're looking forward to it, Sean. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs>